Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican. I'm your host, Colleen Dully. The first Roman session of the Synod on Synodality is now more than halfway over. Yet there's very little we know about what concrete results will come out of this synod, or even what's happening inside. Whatever it is, we know that Pope Francis's goal for the Synod is to help the Church better fulfill its mission to evangelize. Inez San Martin joins me in Rome today to discuss both the Synod and World Mission Sunday, which is October 22nd. Inez is an Argentine journalist, former Rome bureau chief of Crux, and the current vice president of marketing and communications for the Pontifical Mission Society's USA. Welcome to Inside the Vatican, Inez. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm glad that we could connect in Rome. This has been a really busy time for both of us, especially for you, because not only are you helping out with civic communications, but you're also getting geared up for World Mission Sunday, which is a big appeal for the Pontifical Mission Societies. These are four missionary societies around the world. You run their communications in the U.S. Can you just tell me what do the mission societies in the U.S. do? Like, are they just working in the U.S. or around the world? We are part of a really big network. We are one of 120 national offices. You know, even though we like to pretend we're the big, you know, 800 pound gorilla of the entire network, on the one hand, that's true. Um, the World Mission Sunday collection is the only second collection that every parish in the world is supposed to hold. Even it, more than Peter's Pence? Yes. Wow. Um, the, the Code of Canon Law does not speak about Peter Pence, but it does speak about the importance of, um, you know, the church helping itself and diocese is helping every diocese, but also building this idea that we can all do more for someone else. So it's not about how much, but about, can I, you know, can I give five cents? Can I give a penny? Mm-hmm. It all started because 10 women bullied by their friend, Le, Le French Le woman, Pauline Jericot, said, hey, you're now praying for the missions daily and donating a penny a week. So what we do in the United States is on the one hand, we're very focused on missionary animation. No, letting the, the children know that there are children out there who need their prayers, who need their support. There is over a thousand places in the world where the church is too young or too poor or actively persecuted, and as such, it cannot sustain itself. And then also we do work a lot. We're working a lot right now in fomenting missionary vocations. And that is not just vocations to the priesthood or vocations to be a nun. Um, you know, you can be a layperson and be a missionary for six months. Or I know a lot of people, I've had the blessing of meeting people who spend their honeymoon uh, being missionaries in Africa. And they spent a month teaching children the gospel because they came together as spouses um, during, you know, Bible school in their parish. Wow. So, I didn't know people did that. Right? I mean, I'm like, uh, okay, uh, here I was thinking about some awesome beach place. But yeah, no, exactly. Let's, let's I feel a little guilty. <laughs> right? So when people in the U.S. donate on World Mission Sunday, which is this Sunday, October 22nd, is that money going to to fund these projects around the world rather than right. just in the U.S.? So the, the World Mission Sunday collection, collection is specifically 
destined to helping the church and mission territories. It's worth pointing out, however, that the Diocese of Fairbanks in the United States was mission territory up until last year. Mm -hmm. Fairbanks, Uh, Alaska. Yeah, Fairbanks, Alaska. Now, a mission territory is, for those who don't know, is technically speaking a diocese or a region that does not answer to the Vatican's congregation for bishops and clergy. Right, they're under the For the dicastery for evangelization and the propagation of the faith. About half the dioceses in the world are mission territories, right? Yes. It's like, it's a way bigger number than most people think. When you think about it, it's most of Asia, most of Africa, if not all of it. Big parts of Oceania, some parts of Latin America, and even some former Soviet countries here in Europe, including, for instance, Ukraine. Very much places that Pope Francis has his eye on, right? Which makes sense with his focus on evangelization. Yes, I'm pretty sure he goes to the dicastery and says, okay, what country have I not visited that (laughs) that is mission territory? Okay, Inez, we do have to address, though, maybe the biggest story of the year around the Pontifical Mission Societies, which is, you know, this will be the first Mission Sunday since the news broke earlier this year that $17 million was transferred from the Pontifical Mission Societies in the U.S. to an impact investing fund. So this is a fund that provided low-interest loans to church-affiliated programs in Africa. And although the transfers seem to have been legal, the Pontifical Mission Society's U.S. did have to write off $10.2 million as a loss. And I know both the Vatican and TPMS have investigated about how this loss happened. But what can you tell us about the changes TPMS has made? Colleen, thank you very much for asking that question and for giving me the opportunity to address this issue. On the one hand, I want to make it as clear as I possibly can, that money did not come from donors and that money did not come from the World Mission Sunday collection. It's a very long and convoluted story, but it comes from money that we had invested over 30 years ago in an investment fund. And the idea was that, okay, instead of having high interest rates, let's put the money at the service of the church. There were some problems with it. And again, as you said, it was all done legally. However, it it was a complicated issue for us, and it was definitely one that has inspired and led to reform. The first thing we did was actually change the composition of our board of directors. Um, We went from three either late or retired priests to right now is a 10-body board of directors, but we're aiming at making it 16. Mm -hmm. We have two cardinals, um, including Colonel Dolan of New York as the head of our board, and Colonel O'Malley, who sits in Pope Francis' group of um, you know, small group of advisors. Cardinal advisors, yeah. So Cardinal Mali from Boston and then different archbishops and bishops from the United States. And we also have three very well-regarded, well-respected lay members. We're looking for between four to five more lay members because we need to guarantee oversight and accountability. Are the folks who have joined the board like... Have, do they have financial knowledge that could yes. prevent this kind of no, thing from yeah, happening? No, they okay. do. Um, we, know, we, we, we were looking for people from the finances background and legal background and, okay, who is the canonist within our board? That's the person who's helping us right now review our statutes with the help of some of the best regarded canonists in the, in the world. And we're working very closely with the Vatican to guarantee that, you know, if we ever say, hey, we need to transfer X amount of money, we need, we need the paper trail, we need the evidence on the one hand that the Vatican requested it, and on the other hand that the money does not actually go to the Vatican. So the money we collect on World Mission Sunday, the money that Catholics in the United States so journalists give every year, it does not go to pay the light bill of the Secretary of State. You know, it goes literally to evangelization. We are not a charitable organization, and as important and as needed as this is, 
we are the organization that when a church needs to be rebuilt because there was a earthquake in Syria, we're the ones who have the fund for that. We're the ones who acknowledge the importance of having the constant presence of the Eucharist there where tragedy has happened. Ines, one last question for you on this. You know, you were a Vatican journalist for a long time. I have, have long read and respected your work. What prompted the switch for you to working for the Pontifical Mission Societies? What was it that inspired you to want to do this? Um, there were many things that inspired me to to want to make the switch. One of them is, you know, we were just discussing something that was clearly complicated in the history of the Pontifical Mission Societies in the United States. But I came in with my eyes wide open, which is probably the biggest nightmare for anyone who transitions from journalism to corporate communications or PR or whatever you want to present it. But I also knew the leadership and the commitment to doing things right in a way that are unquestionable for his successor. It doesn't matter you know, what team comes next. We want to make sure we, we do it right. So when I said I would love to join the Pontifical Mission Societies, but Part of my credibility as a journalist comes from my transparency. I have never lied about the fact that I love the Catholic Church, but I have also never lied when the Catholic Church has done something that is wrong. And there's crime and then there's sin and you know, there's a lot of things in between. What I hope makes me good for my job is the fact that I do not have a poker face. I, I love what <laughs> I, I do <laughs> and it shows in everything that I write and I tweet and yeah. I share and I talk. I truly do believe in what we're doing. I truly do believe that we want to get it right. We're going to make mistakes. Of course we will, and we'll stumble, and it's not going to be easy. It is a, a steep hill that we need to climb, but we also need to keep in mind that we don't do it. I don't do this for me. Mr. Karen Harrington doesn't do it for himself. We're doing it because an estimated 40% of the total budget the Catholic Church has in mission territories, and as we have established, is half of the diocese in the world comes from what the United States generously provides on World Mission Sunday. Wow. But let me put it into perspective. So I was in India back in March. I had an incredible experience visiting different mission territories and different dioceses and different projects. And when there, I met an incredible woman, 50-year-old woman by the name of Ramaya. She had been married off to her maternal uncle when she was 13 and he was 40. Child marriage is still legal, culturally allowed in many places in India, including in the small tribe village where she was coming from. She's a Dalit woman, which means that the government gives them, you know, some subsidies yeah, but every it's year. The lowest caste. It's the lowest caste. The government gives them a $400 subsidy a year, which she lost when she converted to Christianity. Oh, wow. So she literally lives in a community that makes $400 a year because that's how much he can make. So the government would match whatever you make. So you make 400, okay, then you have $800 a year. This incredible woman had three daughters. She refused to let her husband marry them off when they reached puberty, like she had wow. been. Wow, wow. Because she said, I understand their intrinsic value because they're children of God. She met Christ and she saved her daughters because of that. And we asked her, okay, Ramaya, what can we do? What can we give you? How can we help you? She said, I need $30,000. I'm like, okay, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> what for? What do you need $30,000? Yeah. I said, you know, do you want to build a school? No. Do you need a hospital? No. Do you want to just buy a lot of food? 
No, I need a church. Like, why a church, Ramaya? I mean, of all the needs that you have, why do you want to fulfill building a church? She said, because when God is close, everything else happens. That's what I do. That's why I joined the Pontifical Mission Society, despite the little hardship at the beginning. All right. So if our listeners want to support your work, they can make a donation this Sunday on World Mission Sunday in their second collection at their parish or visit onefamilyinmission.org. Yes. And I really do hope there's a priest listening that he's going to preach about World Mission Sunday. And I really do hope that if there's a, a parishioner, he's going to ask that or she's going to ask, can we play the World Mission Rosary at our parish this week? And if you don't happen to hear a homily this Sunday about World Mission Sunday, we do have one on our Preach podcast, which you can find wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. And we'll link to it in the show notes. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will talk about Inez's Vatican career, talk about Pope Francis, his, his uniqueness as an Argentine pope, and also her role in the Synod Communications. Stay with us. We're back with Inez San Martin here in Rome. Inez, to most of us, Pope Francis is, you know, he's he's Pope Francis. He's the Bishop of Rome. He's the Pope, but he's also an Argentine. And so as a fellow Argentine, I feel like you get him <laughs> on a level that, that at least I as an American can't. Is there something about Pope Francis that people who aren't from Argentina don't understand? Yeah. So at, at the very beginning of his pontificate, you know, when I first became a Vaticanista back in 2014, a few months after he became the successor of Peter, there were a lot of Argentinian words that made me realize, okay, this is going to be a guy who's going to be hard to read for a lot of people. Like the word, for instance, Leo, which he said in Brazil, talking to 50,000 Argentinian youth. I was one of them. I was helping organize World Youth Day. I had to put together that event basically overnight. I'm like, what is happening here? Can we get, you know, Pope Benedict back? We knew what we were doing. Yeah, we knew what we were getting. A year in advance. <laughs> so, you know, the, the word Leo, which is, you know, to make a havoc. But yeah. it it's a lot more nuanced than just, because havoc to me has a bit of a violent connotation when in Argentina it does not. It's just literally shake your bishop. The idea was grab your bishop and shake some sense into him. Yeah, this like, is something that Pope Francis, he, he gets up and he tells all of these kids at World Youth yes. Day. He's like, make a mess. Hagan Leo, is that how you say I, it? Hagan Leo. And yeah. I remember I was trying to translate that word. And the Spaniards who were helping me translate it, he's like, what does Leo mean? I can't put it into English when I don't know what it means in Spanish. And there's a lot of, I believe, instances in which Pope Francis has been misunderstood because of, you know, okay, beyond the lost in translation element of it all. He's extremely hard-headed, but that's a very Argentinian thing. And he's very informal. And again, that's, you know, and he's going to hug you whether you want to hug or not, which, you know, I, I did to him today. I just, hey, holy <laughs> fire, I want to give you a hug. Sure, come over. I mean, <laughs> seriously, again? You two are similar in that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we are. And, you know, we do not mean any disrespect when we sometimes just say what we mean and say what we think and not what is just necessarily politically correct. And sometimes, you know, that's gotten him into trouble. Yeah. He loves to say what he wants to say. 
And he has a lot of friends within journalism. And when he needs something said that he thinks didn't get, he himself didn't get right, he's going to make a phone call. I mean, historically, it was always known, you know, back in when he's still the Archbishop of Buenos Aires, when some journalists had high sources within the church have said this. Okay, that's Colonel Bergoglio. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Colonel Jorge Mario Bergoglio called his journalist friend and told him something. And now Pope Francis, you know, it's probably doing the same. And then there's the fact that wherever he can, he grabs a mate, which is something that I know for anyone listening who's not from Argentina, it's very hard to understand and even disgusting. But um, so the, the mate, you, I mean, just Google Pope Francis a mate, but it's, you know, it's this drink, it's basically a mug or a cup with a straw in it. And then something like tea leaves, the actual word in Spanish is sherba. The actual translation in English got me into a lot of trouble when I was doing live television because it's weed. Oh, <laughs> but no, the Pope was, it's not, you know, I'm not drinking weed. He's, the Pope is not <laughs> drinking weed. This no. used to be a pretty reliable way to get him to like come over to you in a in an audience or and whatever is, because so right now, you could hold up a, a cup of mate and you would yes. come over and take a drink, yes. which also I'm sure terrified his security people. Oh God, yes. I, so the first time he did it was in Brazil, World Youth Day. He just stopped a car and someone gave him a mate and he's like, oh. sure, I'll drink a mate. And someone was throwing a flag at him and then we... He actually gave you a bunch of mate yesterday. Yes, so that's the best part. There's an incredible Japanese missionary woman who spent six years in Argentina, speaks better Spanish than I do, and she's going everywhere drinking mate. And she told the Pope, I've run out of Sharwa, can you help me? And the Pope sent her some. So I met him yesterday. I gave him Mission Magazine. It's all about World Mission Sunday. And I told him, Holy Father, like, I'm in trouble. I'm running out of Sharwa. So he's like, don't worry, I got you covered. And he sent me like, three bags of it. Like, okay, so now nice. that's too much and I don't know what to do with it. Right. Yeah, you posted a picture of all of this, all of this year in the yes. Synod Hall. Yes. Speaking of, we should transition to talking about the Synod. You are kind of on the inside of this. Uh, what's your official role? So my official role is unofficially helping the communications team, uh, but the Synod's <laughs> communications team. There was a lot of strategy in place and acknowledging that there are many communication experts who would put their lives on pause to help the Senate. Unfortunately, the one they had thought of from the United States who spoke English and our languages couldn't come, so they asked me. Right, there's been a lot of discussion in the press, even among us journalists here, about the, quote, media blackout at the Senate. There's this concern for secrecy. You're a journalist, and so you understand how frustrating it can be for those of us on the outside. What can you tell us about the media strategy and the restrictions here? I, I kind of feel like this question might get me into more trouble than the first questions that we were dealing with oh, in no. this <laughs> lovely podcast. But no, I mean, yes, as, as a journalist, I understand the frustration because the way I said, I'm here to help the church and I'm here to help the Holy Fire with something that he is deeply convinced the church needs, which is a global consultation about how can the church be closer to its people? How can the church be closer to those which she is called to serve? This is not about one or another issue. This is not about the hot button issues that we all love to discuss. And I, you know, I loved to get when I was a journalist because that meant I would get a lot of readership for whatever story I was doing. This truly is a deeper, hopefully extremely positive, we'll have the chance to change the life of the church, yet very boring process. But, you know, to my 
colleagues, my journalist colleagues, because I call myself a recovering journalist. Once a journalist, <laughs> you're never not thinking in headlines, leads, and in tweets and in Instagram posts if you do visual <laughs> journalism, right? And access <laughs> and sources and keeping that access and keeping that sources. But also, you think about transparency and you think about truth. Now, being truthful about the transparency of the Senate, it truly is not about hiding. It's not about impeding journalists from doing their work, but truly discerning what is the best way to communicate a process that is ongoing. This is not the conclusion of the Senate. This is one of two assemblies and a process that began 2021 and which, knowing Pope Francis, might not even end next year. Yeah, that kind of brings me to another question. Pope Francis' address at the beginning of the Senate was a little bit strange. He told the Senate participants to fast from speaking to the media, but then he also asked the journalists to tell the story of the Senate as he wants it to be told, right? He said, you know, I want you to tell people that there's a profound listening inside. And I know that at least some of our fellow reporters are feeling a little weird about that. I feel like some people are feeling disrespected by that, right? By being told, no, you won't have access to these people inside the Synod, but at the same time, you should tell the story as we want it to be told. What do you make of that as somebody who's been on both sides, the, the journalism side and the communication side? Well, there are a lot of layers to that. On the one hand, yes, the on the record, let's have an interview and get a sexy headline out of this interview. Coverage of the Synod can't be done anymore. On the other hand, Pope Francis has asked for fasting, but he hasn't banned speaking. He did not decree a cone of silence on the synod process. Didn't use the pontifical he, secret, no, which has governed past synods. It has. And, you know, he's asked for discernment. And, you know, do you have something to say that honestly would help the synod and the church and your diocese and your people and your ministry? Then go ahead and say it. The this problem, is his instruction, we should be clear, to the synod participants. Yes, this was his instruction to synod participants. Yeah, their own sp speech to the right. media. But on the other hand, I do believe that journalists have been talking about pontifical secrecy and the cone of silence. And a lot of the people who are in the synod are reading the journalists who are telling them that they cannot speak. So it has created a bit of a convoluted situation in which I know of synod members who would like to talk but aren't sure if they can talk because the latest headline they wrote says they shouldn't. Does that make sense? I mean, uh, yeah, I'm making I, a face at you because I, 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 like you, I don't have a poker face. I just, it sounds then like shifting the blame back onto the journalist. No, it's not. This happened because there was, a, I believe, a challenging communications from the very beginning oh, of the yeah, entire synodal sure. process. Yeah, I mean, the so, communications people themselves will tell you that, that, that this right. is a tough so thing to communicate. So this, this did not start in any way with journalists. And I understand their frustrations. And in any way that I could help without losing access to communion on Sundays, mm -hmm. I have. <laughs> um, that, you know, that's, that's, that's no, to, I mean, that's my job. And once a journalist, you're always a journalist. And fundamentally, I believe in the process. And in order yeah. for the process to succeed, it has to be communicated. No, exactly. Right. Like there's a real concern about transparency. It's just kind of like, when is that going to happen? I have one last question for you about this, which is, you know, you mentioned we can't do the, the sexy headlines <laughs> anymore. We can't do the hot button issues. Pope Francis said that as well in his opening address. He said he critiqued the media coverage around the previous synods and said they only focused on single issues. I take issue with that since I've covered the last few synods. We definitely did not just focus on those issues, although if there's a story, we have to write it. Do you think that the the media fast strategy has helped kind of avoid that 
polarized coverage in this synod? Is it helping us become that synodal church the Pope wants? I mean, it obviously has helped with the polarized coverage because, well, it's harder to get polarizing headlines when you don't have headliners. On the other hand, however, I think it's kind of darkened the process. It's put a, a cloud of doubt to a process that was meant to be and that, you know, hopefully will be very open for the church. You know, Pope Francis asked the faithful to get involved and now mm. the faithful don't know what's going on. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the, the Synod office, the communications team is doing an incredible work to try to actually balance both. This is not about just three topics. This is not about ordination of women, LGBT, you know, whatever our headline we want to give. That, and as you said, there's a story, you got to cover it. Can we talk about everything else? Can we talk about the role of the lady and not just lay women? Can we talk about the fact that lay men are missing in action? What are the men in the parishes and where are the men in the pews and where are the men in the, you know, the parish councils and the synod offices and the, the synod consultation processes? That's a good question. So it's, again, I think on the one hand, it's helped with the hot button issues, but it has brought down the mood even among the journalists who were very happy yeah. to do an extremely positive coverage, an extremely thorough coverage of the synod. As we said, this is not the beginning nor the end of a process. This is just yet another stage in a long process of becoming a more synodal church, which is truly is a more welcoming, more open, more, I, I would say, a clearer church in which, you know, we, we all understand what we believe in and why we believe in it. We truly are welcome to all. And that does mean everyone, not just those in the margins and not just those in one specific margin of society, but truly everyone. As Pope Francis has said many times, journalists are an asset for church communications. And you have a lot of incredible colleagues who are covering the Synod and who are giving it their very best. We're working on it. You know, again, there are a lot of people who want to talk to the media and there are a lot of people who are talking off the record, but we'll no, see what I get happens. What you're saying. Just keep like, praying for it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Prayer and and I think that you're you're right that there is a a balance here that is really necessary. You know, I I would not be one to like advocate for, oh my gosh, let's let's cover everything because it would risk turning into a parliament, right? Like people love watching those videos of the yes. British parliament fighting. <laughs> yes, and I understand why we love watching them, but- Yeah, um, but that's not the point of a cinema. At the end of the day, we're talking about souls. When the church does what it does, it's because it's thinking about saving souls. It's about bringing people closer to Christ and so division and confusion does not help. So how does the synod, how does the Vatican, how does the church and you know, journalists too, how do we better communicate to make things clearer, even if they seem confusing? All right. Inez San Martin, thank you so much for joining us here on Inside the Vatican. If our listeners want to support the Pontifical Mission Societies, they can do that in this Sunday's collection or at onefamilyinmission.org. Inez, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you very much, Colin. It was an honor and a pleasure. Inside the Vatican, it's a production of America Media. This episode was produced by our executive producer, Sebastian Gomes, and Ricardo Da Silva. Kevin Christopher Robles is our audio engineer. To keep up with the latest news out of the Vatican, please follow us on X at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. 
You can also follow me on X and Instagram at Colleen Deli. Please consider becoming a digital subscriber to America Media. Just click on the link in our show notes. It's easy to do. It's the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. And for this month of the Synod, you can get your digital subscription for only $1. And if you have a little time to spare, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. For America Media, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.